Mask Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. We finally did it. We had an upset Saturday. Scott Seidenberg here alongside Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. It's Rush the Field, a college football podcast for you, the college football fans. And Chris, eight top 25 teams losing last Saturday, including four teams in the top 10. We finally got our first upset Saturday of the college football season. You know, and we always have it. We never know when it's going to be. It's when you least expected. We had a few that were candidates it's going in but to have that many um some of them washington oregon we knew it was going to happen one of them had to lose but uh in scott i don't think we're done i think that we as we get into late october and november there are a lot of things that still can happen a lot of football left i know big cliche but as i am studying tape week in and week out only alabama uh, it looks invulnerable. I mean, everybody else is vulnerable to some degree. And I think what we see is there's potential for more of these upsets to take place, which could create a lot of upheaval. Yet, if some folks, and we'll get into it a little later, if some folks kind of take care of business, we kind of know where things stand two weeks out before the start of um, the, the, the rankings. A lot of football left, though, and a lot of teams that look pretty good, and only one that looks really elite. No. Absolutely. And the first college football playoff rankings will come out on October 30th. So just two weeks away, we'll get into some scenarios and some questions that I have for you coming up in a few minutes. But I want to start with some pressing news in the college football world. You mentioned Alabama, so we'll start there. Tua Tungavailoa with the knee injury. What have you heard over the past couple of days, Chris, as to his situation dealing with the knee, the severity of it, and how much it will limit him moving forward? I talked to a couple of coaches today at Alabama. And they say he's healthier this week, um, um, Tuesday, uh, as he than, than he was last Tuesday. So the the knee problems don't seem to be a problem. Uh, there was some soreness last week, but he's uh, the quote was he's better this week than he was last week. So they feel really good about it. They don't see it as an injury or a potential problem. Um, I will say this. I have said it, and so I'll stick by it. I I don't know uh, if I wouldn't sit him just to give him that rest um, and because they've got the bye week. And I think we all could agree that he gives them an edge that they're capable of winning with Jalen Hurts, but they're just that much better with Tua. I'm not so sure that I wouldn't sit him for this game. I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to play him. And, and as you look at it, he only plays a half of football anyway. <laughs> so, and, and if he's not hurt, I mean, I, I can see it. I'd probably practice him, and I'd, I'd probably sit him this week is what I would do in, in, in coming up a, 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 against the bye week. I don't sense that – in fact, I know from what they said that it's not one of those cases where the wear and tear is going to make the injury worse. Now, there's always the possibility – that he could get injured like he would in any game. Um, but, no, that's kind of where I hear it, I, I, that he's fine, he's good. I expect him to play. Um, I just, in my mind, I'd 
probably sit him out this week. Well, you mentioned it, though. He's only going to play the first half because they're going to roll over Tennessee like they're rolling over everybody. So he'll play the first half, and, and if he's uncomfortable, then he'll leave the game. And even if he doesn't feel you know right or if he does feel right, he's he's going to play the first half, maybe into the third quarter. He'll get plenty of rest, and then they're off all of next week. So he'll be 100% in two weeks from now when we hit November. And then, of course, like you always say, Chris, the games in November are the ones you remember. I want to talk about a player who's not going to be playing in November. In fact, he's not going to play be playing at all for the rest of the season, and that's Nick Bosa of Ohio State because the defensive end has decided to leave the program. He is leaving school to focus on the NFL draft. He's been out dealing with that core muscle. You know, this is a huge topic of debate, Chris. For me, I understand where the kid's coming from. I'm just afraid that this might start to become a trend with top-tier, high-profile collegiate athletes that are looking at their futures. Uh, Remember, there was an argument before Jadeveon Clowney's final year of eligibility at, at South Carolina. Should he sit out the entire year? Because he was going to be the number one overall draft pick regardless. And that was a legit conversation. Now, here we have it. Nick Bosa gets hurt, and he's not playing again for the remainder of the year. What was your take on all this? Well, first of all, let me say this. I did check on this, and the story here is the injury was a lot worse than I think people knew. They were hopeful but the, the they it wasn't a really good chance of him coming back. He's still coming in, back at all, or not coming the, back the, until the, later this year. Because oh, that, okay. it, it, as it as this injury started to take with that core muscle, he played with a pretty severe groin injury in the start of the year, uh-huh. and he struggled with it, and it led to this problem. That's a I knew when he had this that the chances of him playing this year, and again, it's just a guess because of how they describe the injury. I, I don't know uh, and not being there, but you don't normally come back from that and play play in a year. Now, I, I could he have played? Uh, possibly. I, I think that he's risking an awful lot, and I, I don't think that he would have been able to perform all that well. That's a very almost impossible injury for a player that's going to bend and have to play the position he has to play to get through. So I understand it. And I think he's doing the best thing for himself. And I don't think he could have contributed a whole lot this year with that injury. That's my feeling. Now to your trend part, there's no doubt it's already been a trend. My concern is Scott, that we're going to see more and more players because we've seen in the bowl games, right? Hey, I'm not going to play. Happens, so yes, it happened yeah. last year, okay. and it's going to continue to happen in the bowl Co- games. Correct. My concern is that's going to extend to the regular season if a team is out of the picture. You follow me? All right, so a team's got four losses. You know, guys are really – top prospect maybe he's got a <clears throat> air quotes here phantom injury maybe he's uh, a little dinged up well everybody's dinged up maybe he can't play maybe he holds out maybe he wants out maybe he spends more time in the training or maybe maybe some of that's really not going to be real can we truly believe it we might even have a player well we had one two year a year ago and uh, two years ago at oklahoma decided that he was quitting mm-hmm. he just said ah, you know i'm not doing. um and he wasn't a high pick when you see one of those guys, I, I can see that happening because you're getting the family members, uh, agents in their ears yep. saying, 
you know, don't get injured, don't get it. What do you got to prove here? They're not paying you anything. You're not going to play in the in the the playoffs. You're not going to, you know, you're going to. What's well then? How you know? Once you start this slippery slope, we're not going to play in the bowl game. Well then. Why play in that rivalry game at the end of the year? You might get hurt there, too. Well, then why play in that mid-November game? Why play in that early November game? Why, why? Hey, it's the middle of October. Hey, well, you And, you know, in cases like this, I mean, Nick Bosa, now let me just say this. A little bit con- disappointed that apparently Nick Bosa's just dropped out of school. Yeah. I mean, listen, um, go to class. You know, get your – you know, get – as many credits as you can, man. But I mean, he was going I mean, he was leaving early anyway. He wasn't graduating. Yes, but to get you, you Scott. I, mean, I understand. You, yeah, you, you want you the get, credits because you you eventually get, you're gonna yeah, go back and graduate. Get get, get your credits. Get yeah. your degree, man. Don't you know? You don't have to. It's not gonna hurt his injury to sit behind the desk and go to class, you know, and write papers and do that. I don't, you know, he's going to spend his time in rehab. He's got time, plenty of time to get rehab and treatment every day and go to class. That disappoints me. Um, physically, I, I don't think he's prepared and capable of playing football the rest of the year. But he's capable of going to class. I guess maybe he's falling under the Cardell Jones uh, mm. theory. Uh, we don't play school. <laughs> we play football at Ohio State. But I just, you know, I again, that's the coach in me that, you know, I believe every player's got a great opportunity to get a degree. Oh, you okay. you, now, you now, worked hard. You went to school. And, you know, you, you, know, and you didn't have – I think a lot of these guys have a great opportunity that's going to be something that's going to be important when they look back when they're 40 years old and their football career is over, they wish they had their I, degree. I get that that's the coach in you. Now I want you to put your scout hat on, okay? Yeah. You're working for an NFL organization that has a top two pick. Uh-huh. All right? You have a need at the defensive line position. Your choices are Nick Bosa and Ed Oliver. Forget about what you think about them on the field. You look at this situation. How does this change your opinion of Nick Bosa as a man that you want to give millions of dollars to? Oh, it doesn't change it at all. The only okay, thing okay. You know, it fair. doesn't. I, honestly, it doesn't. I mean, when I say I'm not when I say I should stay and get his degree, I'm not. I'm not saying that 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 affects his character. I'm just thinking that that just. He's missing an opportunity for his okay. life. No, that's fair. But it doesn't, uh, it, uh, in terms of his football career, the only thing that is going to ding him in terms of his draft prospects is this injury. This this injury could be lingering and severe, and mm-hmm. we'll let the medical people determine that. But that would be the only thing. It would not affect me one iota. This guy is a big-time player. And this is not a case where he's quitting on the team, in my view. Yeah. I don't see that. I see that as... Look, because uh, I believe if he not had the injury, I think he'd be playing. Uh, now, you know, he's also because he's he's missing out potentially on a on a national playoff, maybe for all we know, national championship yep. team. So uh, he's missing out because that injury is real. It's severe. And I don't think he could play effectively this year. And I think that's where the decision is. And he's just decided to say, look, I'm going to rehab, take care of that. And then. You know, you're ready for the draft. I, I, I get it. If you could have one pair of pass rushing brothers, would you take the Watts or the Bosas? <laughs> Good question. Um, uh, 
No, I'd, I'd take the Bosa's, although <laughs> oh, the, wow. the Bosa's can't, wow, stay, they healthy. can't stay healthy. No. <laughs> That's the only thing. Now, now, now uh, JJ's, uh, JJ's certainly the, to the answer that the ones that have been most productive have been the Watts and, and mainly JJ. But uh, TJ's done a really good job. The way that uh, I the way that I look at it, Chris, is that JJ's the best out of all four. Yeah, he is. But both Joey and Nick are better than TJ. So collectively, you would take the Bosa's over the Watts. Yeah, and and they're younger. And although they've had injuries, I just think that if I'm taking them, I always look at meaning take them for the you know for the future next year and for the next three four years. Uh, for all I know, JJ's still going to be terrorizing uh, protections <laughs> in three or four years. But he's got to start slowing down. Now, the answer would be the Watts have been the most productive. But I would take those those young edge rushers, the Bosa boys, and, and hope we can. But I, the, the health issue scares me about both of them. <laughs> Neither one of them are playing this year. They got a lot to talk about. Maybe we can throw Rehab in. Rehab together. Maybe we can throw in the Matthews father and son in that uh, challenge as well. <laughs> well, I, had, I, I, I was involved. I had both Matthews. I had Clay Matthews Sr. and Bruce. Oh, wow. Not on the same team, but I yeah. had, you know, both. The different places, so um, <laughs> that's funny. They're, they're, those are those are some some special special athletes. That's that's so funny. All right, Chris, let's talk about these upsets from last week. Uh, I mentioned four top ten teams losing, which obviously shakes up not just the rankings for now, but also the potential for the college football playoff. The first is Georgia losing to LSU, uh, and and as much as LSU's win over Auburn impressed me, this one impressed me even more. Uh, I tweeted out, I thought we were going to see Justin Fields come and save the day for Georgia in this game because when I watched their offense, it was was stagnant. LSU was doing such a great job of limiting them that I just felt, hey, you know, Kirby, let's go. Get Justin Fields in the game. Let's see what this kid can do. LSU, Edo, what a a wonderful game plan. Uh, Just a tremendous performance and to me, the most impressive victory for them this season. No doubt about it. Um, And, you know, to Georgia's point, um, obviously, Justin Fields is not ready to go. They they don't have the confidence in him. I don't understand putting him in for the token snap and the then goal line packages or whatever. It just doesn't to me. Put him in there and throw the football with him. Use him as a dual threat guy. Or don't put him in there. Keep Fromm in there. I I, it, I didn't quite get that. I was uh, surprised that. Um, that Georgia didn't defend the run very well. That was a big surprise. I thought as good of a game plan as Florida had against LSU, uh, and and quite frankly, I coached them. I thought LSU re- rebounded and Dave Aranda great job defensively. Yeah, Georgia ran the football really well that first drive. Then LSU reduced their front, loaded the box, and they played zone pressure all day and Georgia's receivers couldn't get open and I know the talk's going to be about Fromm I know the talk is going to be about the defense but one thing that just jumped out offensively is that the Georgia receivers got no separation against LSU Uh, that was big so LSU as I thought was going to have to defend the run with the numbers they did but they covered so well I thought Georgia would win the game. I thought they were the better team. The one thing that jumped out at me is go back and I think about it. And this is a lesson for all of us. Sometimes we look at a team and we think, boy, they're not quite there. But, boy, they're, you know, they're going to get better. They're going to get better. We assume things. And I'm going to tell you, Scott, 
at least to this point, and we're going to see what this performance does to Georgia going forward. They're just not as good as they were last year. Up front, they don't rush the passer well. And listen, they lost some key guys. They're young. They're just not as good. Uh, Offensively, they don't run the football as well. So, I mean, I've come to the conclusion Georgia is not as good as I thought they were. There was a point in time when we first started this podcast in the early, early part of the year. I looked at the talent, and I saw the early games, and I thought, well, Georgia's close to Alabama. Mm-hmm. No, 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 I was wrong. They're, they're not. I mean, they certainly have regressed to the point where I don't think they match up well against Alabama at all if they were to play. Now, with that said, this is a different team. Georgia had the same moment against Auburn on the Plains last year. And then they rebounded and won out and won, beat that same Auburn team in the SEC championship game. I don't think this is this Georgia team is as good as last year's, so I don't think they're going to repeat it. But I do think they're good enough to rebound and maybe beat Florida, maybe beat Kentucky. I don't think they're going to beat Alabama. But this is a Georgia team that I don't know that it's, quote, unquote, the wake-up call. Sometimes if a team seems to be missing something and you're waiting for it to come together, one of the reasons why it doesn't come together is because they're not as good as you think they are. And I kind of learned my lesson there. So I I think uh, kudos to LSU. uh, But to me, I learned more about Georgia in that game than LSU. I just think that Georgia – their strength so far this season has been the long ball, has been hitting the home run. And they have not, they didn't hit the home run at all against LSU. I mean, you look at some of their numbers. Get open. Yeah, but you look at some of their numbers all season long, you know, uh, you know, they've had a 72-yard touchdown, 56-yard touchdown, 59 yards, 75, 35, 36, 66-yard run from Elijah Holyfield. This is a team that they get the they get the long the long ball and they were not able to break that big play against uh, LSU. Mm-hmm. I think their furthest play from scrimmage was maybe thirty five yards. It was mm-hmm. a Riley Ridley catch, and that's it. You know that that's not how Georgia's been winning games this year. No, and and again, and defensively, they couldn't defend the run. I thought they would have more success defending LSU's running attack. And listen, you know Joe Burrow made some some plays late, but he. LSU didn't beat them with the passing game. It's the run game. So LSU was a more physical team. Um, and you're right. They Georgia couldn't come up with the big plays on offense. And, you know, for the reasons that I mentioned, I thought that uh, two things jumped out at me. Uh, the the tight coverage that George that uh, LSU had on Georgia, and then the blitz pressure, the zone pressures, zone blitz, folks. They brought in extra pressure and got into Jacob Fromm's grill, and he couldn't make plays under pressure, and guys weren't open to make plays. So I, you know, all hail to Dave Aranda and the job that he did, uh, a rebound in a big time way, um, and you know, playing at home definitely helped. But that game plan and that physicality defensively was pivotal. And then the physicality on offense, running the football right down Georgia's throat. Those are the two things that stood out breaking down the tape. Let's move to the Big 12, Chris, where we talked about it last week and we suggested that this could happen, and and it did because you know why? It always does. Iowa State's the giant killer. They (laughs) do this every single year, it seems. They welcome in a top 10, top 5 ranked Big 12 opponent, and they beat them at Ames. And then they get fined for rushing the field. <laughs> that happens every yes. year. Rush the field is, is is only a name of a show, folks. Don't do it. You're going to cost your school money. LSU rush the field, which, by the way, let me say this. Let me tell you my theory of rushing the field as it relates to rushing the field in, in real college football. 
Scott, I always tell, always say, you don't want to be the school that rushes the field. You want to be the school that other people rush the field when they beat. Correct. So, I don't know. Correct. Not real impressed with LSU rushing the field. Really? Can I beat Georgia? You going to rush the field? I mean, you're a top-ranked team yourself. You can't do that. Now, Iowa State, I get You're an unranked team, and you beat the number six team in the country. You get to rush the field. Yeah, you get get that a little bit more. Yeah, I can get that a little bit more. Hey, this is another example, though. Habits can be, you know, you get bad play can be habit forming. Mm-hmm. We talked about it last week. West Virginia didn't look good against Kansas. Nope. Turn, All those turnovers, turnovers in the yeah. red zone. What was that? 153 yards of offense. Why West Virginia gets that in the first eight minutes of the game? How, how did how did Will Greer only throw <laughs> fifth? Chris, fifteen passes. He throws fifteen passes in one quarter of football. No, fifteen. It, pa- he was eleven of fifteen for a hundred yards. It, it is as they say down south. That boy ain't right. You know, <laughs> it, it, it something didn't look right in that. And something doesn't look right with this West Virginia offense right now. And they go from a team that last week we're talking about. Okay, yeah, you know, I, they found a way to muddle through a win against Kansas. Now you know, giving you. Know, they go from a team that, hey, let's watch them now. They could be unbeaten. Now it's like, gee whiz, what do we have here? They got the bye this week. They got a, uh, the uh, the uh, the open date this week. Then they get Baylor and Texas and TCU, Oklahoma at the end of the year. Ah, I, I, I'm I mean, worried uh, about this West look, Virginia team. Does, does Holgerson have him on a pitch count? Does he know that when they play against Baylor, he's going to throw 66 times? So is that why he only limited him <laughs> to 15 know. throws? Is this know. a pitch count situation, so, so Chris? It's on, on a bye week. It's <laughs> on an open day. They have plenty of time to ice that shoulder. Let him throw it, for goodness sakes. I, I, I think there's a problem there. Now, Dana said it was his, you know, I understand. It's probably hyperbole. He says that was the worst offensive performance he's ever seen in all of his years. Of coaching, so um, he's been around some. Well, some good look teams. in the mirror. Look in the mirror, coach. Yes, because, it's, you know, it's, come it's on. bad, bad. And, and I don't think he was. No, I don't think he was blaming his. I think he was saying it's the worst. His fingerprints are all over it. I think he knows that. But I guess my point is, is I am not. I am really concerned about West Virginia going forward. Um, it clearly looks like Texas and Oklahoma are the better of the two yeah. teams in the Big Twelve at this point. Two more top 10 upsets. Uh, Oregon defeats Washington. That one was really, you know, they're two good teams. And, and, you know, you say it's an upset because Washington was technically ranked higher before they went into this game. The game went into overtime. And it was actually a good game between these two teams. What, what kind of surprised me was, you know, how ready these teams were from the jump, given the fact that it was a noon kickoff in Eugene. That's something that these two teams are not really used to doing, playing that early in the day. And they looked ready right from the opening kickoff. I was very surprised by that. Yeah, I tell you, um, this Oregon team is pretty good. I've watched them. I've now studied them. Well, Justin they, Herbert is—he's probably the number one number one quarterback taken in the draft. He's phenomenal. well, he's, he is, but it's more than that. They've got good speed. I like this team. They're going to rule the day that they blew that game against Stanford. I mean, I still, you know, I still, I, I still don't, I still don't know how that happened. Well, I still, you know, going back and studying the game, they outplayed him in so many ways. That's going to hurt them. 
And they're not. Chris, they were going into score to take a three score lead. The yeah. ball hit the pylon. It, look, it was a touchdown. <laughs> yeah, and, and look, I mean, it doesn't get it, it doesn't it doesn't get easy. But but you know, and, and they got they go to Pullman this week, and uh, and uh, strange things happens in the Palooks. Trust me. But they, you know, I could. I can absolutely see them if they get by this game, you know, at Arizona, UCLA, Utah, at Utah's tough. But my point is, is this is a pretty good team. That loss of Stanford's going to hurt them and their non-conference schedule. Bowling Green, Portland State, and San Jose State's going to hurt them. But that's the one team that, to me, looks like, I know Washington's right there with them, but at least athleticism, uh, you know, from just pure athleticism, I think Oregon definitely looks like the best team um, in the Pac-12. Yeah. And, and what that's going to mean, we'll get into that in a second. But uh, that's a pretty good team that 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 costs themselves big time uh, in the Stanford game. How about Penn State losing to Michigan State? Oh man, yeah, you know, here's the thing. James Franklin, you know, he talks about this and. I, I, you know, I like James, but, you know, he's, I, I feel like I'm listening to a used car salesman every time he goes mm-hmm. in his press conferences and talk about, well, we're, 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 we're great. We're not elite. James, quit the talking. Get, your team is so up and down. Yeah. Mark D'Antonio does this to everybody every year, doesn't he? I mean, they didn't have a prayer going in. They haven't been able to, uh, to defend the pass. They haven't been good enough on defense. They've not ran, run the football well enough. All of a sudden, they pull this upset off seemingly every year to against somebody Penn State they play up or down to their opponent and this is why they're not a championship caliber program they can't take care of their business they don't take care that's the difference between them and Ohio State it's not the overall talent which Ohio State has better but Ohio State's better prepared yep. Ohio State doesn't play great they, they play were sloppy against Minnesota in the first half but they know how to take care of business and you know to me Penn State doesn't Penn State should have lost opening week against App State. Yep. And, you know, this happens to them all the time. So they'll be good. They'll be talented, but they'll never be great, James, until you learn how to take care of business and play each week to up to your standard, not to the standard of your opponent. Well, and I know it doesn't come down to the final couple of plays, but it always seems like we're nitpicking late in games when it comes to Penn State over the past, you know, couple of weeks here. They had a situation, Chris. They had the ball there in the final minute and a half. Like, yeah. get a first down and win the game. They go three and out in 27 seconds. You just, how are you going to win a football game? And then, okay, rely on your defense, right? Because you want to play conservative. You want to force Michigan State to use timeouts. So that's why you don't throw the ball there and you run uh, three running plays and then punt the ball. But then your defense allows them to go 75 yards in eight plays in under a minute to score the game-winning touchdown. That's situational football. It you got to come up with a stop there. Yeah, situational football, game management, not, not just cl- clock management, game, game management, management. Correct, two different just things. Just not yes. really that good at, 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 at Penn State. And it's something, and I say that not to be rude or critical, but, but to critique, because that's what I do in my consulting work, and that's where I think that they're a little weak. And listen, I've said it about Clemson to some degree. They, you know, that's where the whole Clemsoning and that term got in. And, <laughs> but, but they've gotten better with that. But, 
it's still an issue with some of these teams. You're, you're not going to always play your best, but you've got to be able to find a way to be smart in the critical moments and take care of business. And you're in a tough league, and you better be prepared to play against the Michigan States of the world, even if they come in with a less-than-stellar record, a less-than-stellar team, because that guy can coach. And so, you know, that's something that James going forward has got to do. And that was a team that was good enough to where with and this is again they'll regret it with a one loss team um they could have been one of those teams that's just kind of hanging around yeah if chaos happens they could have been in the conversation boom because they weren't ready to play thank you have a good season enjoy your bowl game because you're you're out of the the national picture at this point because those those combination of those two losses are just are going to eliminate them even if two lost teams come into play they're not going to be one of them nope nope nice season nice knowing you uh well we mentioned chris that we're two weeks away from the first college football playoff rankings on october 30th and the reason why we picked tuesdays to record the podcast and then release them on wednesday is because we are going to have a fresh reaction every single week immediately after the rankings are released so you want to make sure that you subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast leave a little review rate it as well and each and every wednesday you'll get it delivered as soon as you wake up it's going to hit because it goes in late night tuesday night so as soon as you wake up it's going to hit and you're going to get instant analysis to the college football playoff rankings two weeks away and right now you got the undefeated teams at the top which is alabama ohio state clemson and notre dame but as it stands right now chris lsu michigan texas and then we have georgia coming off the loss oklahoma and ucf rounding out your top 10 i want to ask you some questions um, now, we don't have to go over who we think is going to be ranked what, but just questions about the potential of the rankings when they come out and eventually when the season is over. And you mentioned Oregon might have a chance because uh, you like the way they've played. Maybe they're a one-loss Pac-12 champion. Is the Pac-12 still in the race? Does the Pac-12 have a chance to make the college football playoff? Is it solely on Oregon's shoulders to get it done as a one-loss champion? No, I, they're going to need help. Um, you know, Notre Dame would have to lose. They're, they're, a door would have to open. Open up as as it would go now. Certainly, um, I don't think there's any doubt that you know Alabama one, uh, Ohio State, Clemson, and Notre Dame would be your four. So if Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, and Notre Dame all went out, which you know history tells us that that won't happen that way. No, and we've only had you know you talk about the undefeated teams, right? Mm -hmm. We've only had three Power Five teams undefeated. In the four years of the college football playoff, Florida State in 2014, Clemson in 2015, Alabama in 2016, and Chris, none of them won the national championship that year. No, that's right. And so, you know, but that's kind of how I see it. Now, there's the door opens up by Notre Dame losing or Clemson losing. Now, Clemson's toughest matchup on paper would be this week against NC State. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I still say it, uh, a healthy A.J. Dillon, an early yeah, start. College, yep, yep. I, I, you know, with Clemson, they shouldn't lose any of those games, but we've seen it before. Oh, Boston I College would, wins that game, by the way, and Boston College goes to the ACC championship game, not Clemson. Well, I know. That, that's that's another story that would <laughs> – you, you talk about the bottom <laughs> dropping out of Clemson. Uh, that would be it. That's why, you know, for them – you know, uh, it's it's when the na- you make the national playoffs or, you know, they, they can't lose a game. Ohio State, 
you know, dare I say, there, there's some landmarks there. Got a Purdue team that's playing much better football this week. We got Ohio State, Michigan. All of a sudden, you got the possibilities. So you start throwing the door open a little bit. Then, depending upon if, if it's Michigan that Ohio State loses to, Michigan is now probably jumps in to one of those spots if they win out. Uh, but and then you know, but but I would say that so it's still a long, still a long shot, right? Yes, now for the it Pac-12. is. Okay. It is. It is. And here's where I think they're going to struggle. I, I say it because I I think they have the shot of the Pac-12 teams, the only shot because USC doesn't have the resume, and and I don't I don't think Oregon I think Oregon's going to end up losing either this week or you know somewhere down the line. I, I just don't don't see them running the table the rest of the way. But if they do. I still see them losing out to a one-loss Texas, a one-loss Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. certainly a one-loss Michigan. Why? Because Bowling Green, Portland State, San Jose Mm -hmm. State. Mm -hmm. And and winning the Pac-12 championship, they would be in the conversation. Now, with that said, let's go back a few years ago. Haven't we heard this story before? Pac-12 champion team, three awful non-conference scheduled games. Uh Washington got in that year with the same resume. So there's still a lot of football, a lot of things that can happen, but I would still say that a one loss Texas, a one loss Oklahoma potentially would rank ahead of them to be that next team coming up, moving up into that possibility. If the door opens with a Notre Dame losing a Clemson losing uh, Ohio state losing, I don't really see Alabama losing, but that would get real interesting if they were to lose. Um, you know, where's the loss? Uh, they could still end up, you know, Alabama's so well thought of and so good. You could see the, the only way that two teams get in from the SEC, I've been asked that is to, in my mind, is that if Alabama loses and gets in like last year as a four seat. Mm-hmm. Well, but, well, this, leads me, this leads me to my next question now. Um, which conference is more likely to get two teams in? Or or do you think that maybe – so the SEC, we've, we've talked about that, right? You know, let's say Alabama's only losses, um, you know, they only have one loss and they don't win the, the, the SEC, maybe they still get in. Does the Big Ten have a chance to get two teams in? Like, I, let, me, I, let, let me throw yeah, this at you, yeah, okay? Yeah, yeah. Ohio State's only loss is to Michigan. Mm-hmm. Michigan, uh, run, Michigan runs the table. Michigan wins the Big Ten. Ohio State's only loss is a close game at Michigan. Can both Ohio State and Michigan get in? They can, um, but then I think we need some chaos. I think that that Notre Dame would have to first lose. First of all, Notre Dame is in over Michigan. Because they beat Michigan. I think they would be. So we're, we're going to have to say for your scenario to work that Notre Dame has to lose to knock them out. And I, I think that it would certainly aid that possibility if Clemson were to lose. So if it would knock Clemson, lock Notre Dame out, then you're dealing with, at least at this point, a potential of, as you put it, Ohio State, Michigan, you know, they all went out with the exception of Michigan beating Ohio State in a close game. Then then we got to see what happens to Texas, what happens to Oklahoma. Um, again, it, it, does it, in this scenario, does Alabama win out? Alabama, they're, when they're in. Um, you've, you've got uh, the possibility of 
um, a Texas and Oklahoma one-loss team are they in? Uh, I, I think it's possible, yes. Um, I don't think it's as likely as the SEC because I think Alabama is so well thought of and ranked so high that, you know, no. if Alabama loses, I see Alabama getting in. And, folks, people may not like it. And, and, and But when you start looking at who the top four are, I think in a one-game scenario, and it would depend on how the game would play out, people are human. They look and see how good Alabama has been historically, how good they are this year. And if they were to have a blip and lose one game and we had total chaos, I still think they would find their way in as – it, 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 in, into the playoffs is probably a four seed like last year, which would mean that maybe whoever won the SEC, uh, a Georgia or an LSU, w- would maybe be the other. That That's a greater possibility than Ohio State and Michigan getting in. But there is a scenario, but it would cause, in my mind, it would – it would be the result of even more chaos um, than than we're even anticipating right now. How about I'm going to give you chaos right now? You ready? And gotcha. this, is, this is the final thing, and then we'll move on and take take a look at this week's games. Here's the chaos scenario. All right, I, I think you're going to know where I'm going with this. Michigan State or Wisconsin wins the Big Ten. Okay, uh, Boston College, let's say two loss BC wins the ACC. All right, um, give me give me two loss. Give me two loss USC, I guess, right? Winning the Pac-12, okay? Um, or any two loss Pac-12 champion. Notre Dame loses as well. Do okay. you put undefeated UCF in the college football playoff? I do not. No. I do <laughs> not. So there's no chance for the Knights? No, 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 no chance. Because he, here's the I thing. I just about, gave you the ultimate chaos scenario, and I there's know. still no chance. No, I wouldn't. Because here's the thing. I, I respect what UCF does and, and, and the type of program they have, and they're good. Here's the thing that I think, and I know you get this, but a lot of their fans don't get, and maybe a lot of fans in general don't get there is no doubt in my mind. I think UCF proved it last year. Go in and beat Auburn. Same thing with Boise. Yep. Saw Boise beat Oklahoma. We saw them beat Georgia in the regular. We, that can happen. There's no doubt in a one-game scenario. But here's the thing that I don't think people get is that it's one thing to go and beat Auburn. But when you have to beat Auburn and then you go line up and play Mississippi State, yeah. then Florida, then Alabama – then Georgia, then LSU, then South Carolina, then Kentucky. See, that's a whole different ball game. It's the cumulative effect of what you have to play. Central Florida just doesn't play in that type of a league. Boise doesn't play in that type of a league. So when, I mean, they don't even have one game on their schedule that's reminiscent of a good team. So uh, even if you did it, um, to me, it, they're not one of the four. To me, in my mind, they're not even one of the top. 10 teams in the country. They're ranked 10th. Florida, Oregon, West Virginia, Kentucky, Washington, NC State, A&M, Penn State, Iowa, Mississippi State, Wisconsin, Washington State are all better than Central Florida, in my mind. Mm -hmm. That's what the tape says to me. I mean, I think they're a top 20 team, and because they've been unbeaten, I think it's great. But this is where... It's the haves and the have-nots. They don't play the type of schedule that warrants it. So I have to look and say, what if they played in the SEC? What if they played in the, what if they played in the ACC? A, a league that only has one really outstanding team in Clemson. 
I still think if they had to go play an NC State or Virginia Tech, I still think Central Florida would lose three, four games. So I can't put them as one of the top teams if I see them no better than Georgia Tech or Boston College. You follow me? I mean, that's kind of how I see them. Now, I'm not saying in a one-game scenario they can't do it. Well, so can someone else. I mean, a one-game scenario, Old Dominion, who hadn't won a game yet this year, <laughs> and their head coach is on the hot seat, just just rolled up on Virginia Tech. So, I folks, don't buy into the one-game scenario. Look at who's earned it over the course of the year. And, you know, going unbeaten two years in a row is great, but no, I, I, I can't do it. And to be honest, if you had eight teams in the playoffs, I wouldn't put them in amongst the eight because I don't think they're one of the eight best. Uh, hate me, but that's not there, but <laughs> no, that's, that's listen, what I see. You're keeping it real, Chris. You're keeping it real. All right, let's get to this week's games. You mentioned the one game that could have uh, big playoff implications and upset potential. That is Clemson against NC State. Number 16 taking on number three. Why can NC State give Clemson fits? Well, the reason why they can is they've got a good quarterback, they've got good receivers, and I think they can make some big plays in the passing game if Clemson's not quite on in their game and force Clemson to play from behind. Young quarterback makes some mistakes, and then all heck breaks loose. Um, The reason why they won't is I think that Clemson will be very prepared for this game. It's at home. Um, I think they'll be motivated. I think they've got – a heightened sense of of kind of where they are and what's in front of them. Um, I just think they're better and they're at home. And I don't think this is the type of team, North Carolina State, that's going to creep up on Clemson. I think this is the type of game that Clemson shows up big and plays well. So uh, that's still, though, makes it very intriguing because potentially what NC State can provide um, to this defense. How does LSU avoid a letdown against Mississippi State? Well, the plan at home, um, certainly you, you can't, um, in my opinion, you've got to do a good job of rallying to the football against uh, the zone read and the options that Mississippi State likes to run. So the defense has to be very, very disciplined. I, I think maturity of the team is going to be tested because I do think that we've seen them play in big games and big moments play well. I didn't think they played poorly at Florida. They just, they were out toughed a little bit and I think they were out schemed a little bit and it was on the road. They're at home. I think that's that the, that the emotion has to, to set in and, and play big. It reminds me a little bit of several years ago, a long time ago, Jerry Donato had a team that beat the number one team in the country, Steve Spurrier's Florida team. And it was one of the big moments ever beating a number one team. And you're talking about rushing the field. Man, they did some damage that night. Mm. Um they went back the next week in Tiger Stadium, played Ole Miss against Tommy Tuberville and was flat as a pancake and got beat. That's what they have to. It's a little bit of a background of what the Ed Orgeron is. Teams have been a little up and down. You've heard me talk about it with you know, with Franklin and others. That's kind of been the past with, with the Ed Orgeron. Is it going to be the future? We're going to see the maturity level of this team because I, I think Mississippi State is dangerous, going to play loose and free, um, but LSU should win the game. Uh, coming off that game, I think they've got a lot of confidence uh that's that to me is how i see it but it's a dangerous game 
Listen, they've got a week to prepare. Alabama and LSU both have open dates before their big matchup uh, in a couple of weeks. Uh, Oregon against Washington State in Pullman. How does Oregon avoid the upset? Well, it's tough to go to Pullman. It's an interesting place to play. Um, What's difficult is Washington State tends to neutralize, uh, neutralize your speed with big line splits and try to gas you with that quick hitting passing game. So Oregon's going to have to be careful about all the misdirections and going to have to tackle well in space in a tough environment coming off a big win. All those things are going to be working against them and going to be a huge challenge for them. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, their head coach, you know, he Mike Leach is just he's such a bizarre character. We know that, right? You're being, but, you're being kind, but yeah, <laughs> he's such a. But I will give him this. He is. He's very. It's not innovative is the wrong term. Even though some of the things that he does is innovative, but he has certain game plans for certain teams that he'll just find a way to pull a win out of you know where. And you know, here's the thing about it: they they lost that game to USC in controversial fashion. That was the game that led to the you know the the Pac-12 overrule, where the where the lead that one of the lead counsel for the Pac-12 called in and overruled mm-hmm. the you know all that controversy that they're looking into. Um, that could have easily been a Washington State win. We could be talking about an unbeaten Washington State squad. L- little peek into side Mike Leach. He's People think he's exotic and all that. He's very simplistic. He's got four pass plays and three run plays. Mm -hmm. That's all he has. But he runs them to perfection, and it's when he runs them and how he camouflages and makes them look. That's why they're so good. They run the same thing. I've been to their practices, and I remember the first time I went to one of his practices, I said, what – was that today? I mean, you ran four, I said you ran, you ran four routes. What are you just working? He says that's all we got. Yeah. So we, they ran that route, like, but that's why they're so good. They they know what they want to do, and Gunnar Mishaw is playing very well for them. So I I think they've got a really good chance to pull the upset here. Oregon's a more talented team, but the environment and the situation is going to be a challenge. You can always follow Chris at Landry Football. You can always follow me at Scott's On Air. This is on Twitter, of course. And you can join all 32 NFL teams and 78 major college football programs and become members of LandryFootball.com, like me. You can get in on all the latest inside information from the guy that college and NFL programs turn to as a consultant on coaching and scouting matters. For less than a magazine subscription, you can get the film room breakdowns on recruiting, college football, draft, NFL, Coaching search matters. Just check out LandryFootball.com today for our best season membership package ever. Membership options include monthly, three, six, nine months, or yearly. You get access to the insights of a veteran coach, scout, and administrator. Do it today. And all you got to do is just tell them where you heard about LandryFootball.com. Say you heard it right here on Rush the Field, the greatest college football podcast there is. And be sure to catch the Landry Football podcast each Tuesday and Thursday. Chris, I log on to LandryFootball.com. What am I finding today? We find all the film room reviews of this past week and getting you ready for this upcoming week in college football and the NFL for our NFL fans. 
So that's what we do. We take you inside the film room and uh, we explain what happened in that Georgia LSU game. Explain what's happening to Miami and that tough loss against Virginia. On and on and on. We break down all the teams, all the games to get you the insight that you can't find anywhere else. So follow me on Twitter at LandryFootball and of course LandryFootball.com is is one-stop shopping football. If it involves players, teams, coaches, schemes at the NFL or college level, we got you covered. He's Chris Landry. I'm Scott Seidenberg. Rush the Field can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Enjoy the games this week, Chris. We'll talk again next week. I look forward to it, Scott. Thank you so much, bud. This is The Crush Report with Jeff Groeschel. I played sports all of my life, and I was really good at a lot of them. Never really great at any one in particular, but I loved every single second I was out playing, and I still do. So I have to ask why. Why in the recent literature on sports participation do we find that of the millions of kids who start playing sports each year, 70% will drop out by the age of 13? At 13, I was just getting started, yet now 7 of 10 kids are dropping out by that age. So first I asked, why do kids play sports? The overwhelming and undisputed top answer in all of the relevant research to have fun. Kids just want to get out and have fun. The second reason is to be with friends. And winning? It doesn't even crack the top 10 reasons of why kids like to play sport. So then why do they drop out? There's a number of serious reasons here. They're sick and tired of being criticized, tired of being yelled at, afraid to make mistakes, of being judged, lack of playing time, the focus on winning, getting cut from a team at age 6, 7, and 8, and one of the worst times for a kid in sport, the ride home with the parents. Yes, there's something wrong with the system when 7 of 10 kids are dropping out, so the next time you're out with your kids watching or coaching a sport, sit back for a second, take in the scene, and check out how great it is just to watch your kids play. Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. If you're a serious athlete, a weekend warrior, parent, or coach, join us each week as we investigate the latest trends and research coming out of the sport performance world. We'll visit with top athletes, coaches, and sports scientists to keep you on the cutting edge and to find out what it truly takes to achieve human maximum performance. You can visit us online at crushperformance.com and Crush Performance Radio with me, Jeff Kershell, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and at Radio Influence.